Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. We've talked a lot about money today. It's kind of, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing. We've talked about school boards needing money. We've talked about public service workers getting raises on the public money. And one of the things that keeps coming up is, okay, what happens since we're spending all this money and we've got this big deficit now, what happens if the second wave that we all fear, but are all crossing our fingers and crossing our toes, hoping doesn't, but what happens if that second wave arrives? Because, well, I, my next guest will offer his insights about whether or not the government could afford to spend another 300 or $350 billion. I have my doubts. Marvin Ryder is from the DeGroote School of Business. He is a familiar voice. We love having him on here. Anytime we turn to something to do with economics, we like to turn to Marvin because he's one of those people who can take complicated issues and make them explainable in human terms, which is not an easy thing to do. But uh, Marvin, thanks for taking the time today. Always appreciate it. Glad to be with you. So let's go to that one. We, we know what the governments of all stripes have done to try and walk us through and guide us through and keep us afloat during what has happened. What happens if we have to shut down the economy again because a big second wave arrives? Is the money there for a second version of a $300 billion deficit? Well, uh, as you point out, the first thing is we don't have any money in a piggy bank, so we would have to go out and borrow it. Could we go out and borrow another $200, $300 billion? Well, guess what? The answer is yes. Uh, Canada's finances are in almost the best shape of any of the G7 nations, the seven largest nations, our debt to GDP ratio, and we use that, it's kind of like your own personal, my debt to my personal income ratio, is still below 100%. We're trading right now at around 50, 55% debt to GDP. So we have room, if we had to, to go borrow another $300 billion. However, I think a couple of things are different. First, we've learned about COVID-19. Uh, it is no longer a novel coronavirus. We've learned, and therefore we're more experienced with it. And we also know what works and what doesn't. So I believe the government would act much more quickly to make sure that the disease doesn't re-enter the country. That's one of the reasons why, even though we're in phase three of reopening, we have not opened the borders with the United States. We're not back to business as usual with our airports and train stations and what have you. We're doing everything we can to keep it at bay. And then if it does happen to leak in, I think the strategy would be to do an immediate lockdown, but only in that area rather than in a broad-based way. For instance, today in Nova Scotia, there are no active cases of the disease at all, at least as far as we know. So the, all the testing that's been done, nothing's active in that province. If they did happen to get some, most likely it would be in Halifax. So you, if I was the government there, I would do a targeted lockdown, but not necessarily everywhere else. So. Now, the hope would be if we did have to do a new CERB, CERB 2.0 or 3.0, depending upon how you're keeping track of this, it might be targeted to one specific area. Clearly for us, the fear is Toronto. Uh, Toronto is, is uh, much like Montreal and Vancouver, given its density of people, the most likely to see a second wave. But even here in Hamilton, just to again give you a perspective on this, we have not had a death attributed to COVID for a month. So a month, four weeks have gone by. And uh, although it may have changed it today, for five days in a row, we had no new cases of COVID in Hamilton. So we're going in the right direction. The trick is, if you can get it out of the house, how do you stop it from reentering? 
And look, I'm not going to uh, accuse you or, or credit you with being an epidemiologist. I can't even say the word now. Epidemi, what? Whatever. An expert in, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. An expert in this stuff. Yeah. Um, however, we always are hearing comparisons saying, well, look what happened with the Spanish flu back in whenever. Uh, there are differences technologically and with our understanding that we should not be facing the same kind of surprise second wave that came during that one. We should be better prepared. Right. So a couple of things. Um, in, in Spanish flu, although we talk about a second wave, it was really because they did not extinguish the first wave. They, they got it. Now, this is 1918, so it's a you know, different technology, as you say, everything else. But it got down to a low level, but it didn't go to zero. And then people said, okay, you can come out of the house and celebrate, and whoosh, up it came again. This is kind of what you're watching in the United States who had COVID-19 under control and then rushed to reopen. Canada, bless our hearts, we've had that abundance of caution, and we have been moving very slowly. Even now that we're in Phase 3, I say to people, it's really actually Phase 3A. Phase 3 is not back to where we were in February. So a restaurant, yes, it can open, and yes, it can serve 50 people indoors, but that's not its full capacity, and we still don't have the arenas and the the theme parks back to normal, we're still going to be doing this for another four to eight weeks to keep trying to keep the numbers as low as possible. If we do it right, we shouldn't have to have a second wave of CERB or, or the uh, emergency support benefits. You mentioned CERB, and look, I, I think there's a lot of um, compliments to be p- pointed towards CERB. I think it's helped an awful lot of people. That said, there are now, apparently, according to the National Post, in six provinces, there are um, either premiers or people in the financial departments who are saying, we got to be a little bit careful now with CERB because it's deterring some people from going back to work because of the caps on how much you can make. Is this something that now that we can start getting people out of the house and start getting them back, that we do have to be a little careful that we don't make it too comfortable or too uh, much of a deterrent to take a job because, hey, I might not make 2000 and I can stay at home yeah. rather than being topped up or something else? Yeah, so a couple of things around the CERB. First, uh, the government program when it was first announced was to be around $35 billion. But because it's been extended through to the end of August and as well, Fewer companies took up the wage subsidy than was initially planned. At this point, it looks like we will be spending $71, $71 billion on CERB through to the end of August. It has helped uh, up to 8 million Canadians get through all of this, but it's not meant to become a permanent part of the landscape. Now, I know there are nice people out there saying, well, maybe we can use this to talk about some guaranteed minimum income program, and I think that's a great conversation to have. But that's down the road. We've got to wean people off CERB and get them back to work. And it's happening. You know, again, you can't say to somebody, well, you got to need to go back to work if there isn't a job for them. Remember, Toronto is still in phase two. So lots of people who worked in things like restaurants and retail, they're not back to normal there yet. But as we get back to normal, we need to wean people off this. That's why there is going to be a hard end date, August 31st for CERB. And then if you still are unemployed, you'll have to go to use employment insurance benefits. But that's all part of trying to get back to normal. One other quick thing, Scott, um, you know, I said $71 billion. That's a lot of money. Something you're going to hear more about in the next little while is the amount of CERB that was, uh, let's call it wasted, or, or people got uh, maybe by applying twice or what have you. It's estimated right now $440 million. Now, that's a lot of money. I understand that. 
But having said that to you, it represents 0.6% of the total. 99.5% of the money actually went to people who needed it. Yes, a half percent didn't, and we're going to try to claw some of that back from people uh, as well. All those people who got served may have forgotten it was a taxable benefit, and come March and April of 2021, I know you're going to be seeing stories in the paper about taxes due on the CERB, and, oh, I don't have that money now. What am I supposed to do? But that all, again, is part of trying to get people back to normal. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yeah, I, I mean, I do wonder, and again, I, this is not a shot at that because I think it kept a lot of people afloat. And, and so... Um, there was certainly benefit to it. Um, there's a report here by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business that says that they've had one in four people that they've tried to recall or rehire say, no, thanks, I'll take the CERB instead. And, uh, you know, is there a way to go from where we are today and somewhere when they're going to shut it off at the end of August or whenever they decide, because it could get extended again, I suppose, to say, look, we right now have this hard cap that if you make up to this much, you you can't apply for it or something else. Is there a way to make it so that you could work and we'll top it up to the amount that you would get or something that would reduce the amount that the government is pouring out? Yeah, that, I mean, that's all possible. And the government could try to come up with this. Remember, whatever rules you come with up with have to be applied broadly and quickly. That's why you've had a little bit of, of, if you'll call it, fraud with the CERB, because the idea was to let's get the money out the door as quickly as possible. It's not like the old employment insurance where we had to do some due diligence to make sure you really qualified for it. Let's just get that money into your hands. But I think the biggest problem we've got about getting back to normal is talking about uh, at what level of risk are we comfortable. Now, let me, again, I'm not an epidemiologist, as you said, but let me give it a shot. Today but thank you for Canada, saying the word right that I couldn't say. <laughs> today in Canada, we have just about 5,400, uh, 5,300 5, active cases of COVID in, in the entire country. That means 99.99% of us are COVID-free. 99.99%. Now, when I have nice people tell me, Marvin, I'd like to go back to work, but I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid that I'm going to get covid what I'm asking policymakers, well, at what level can we say to people, you know, you should go back. That risk is actually very, very low. If 99.99% is not low enough for you, is it 99.995, 99.999? Or have we got people so afraid of COVID that the only way they'll go back is when we get to zero? And that's what worries me. You know, there is an incidence of disease. I can't guarantee anyone any day of the week that you won't catch flu or that you won't have exposure to some other disease, mumps or chickenpox. It happens, but we live with some amount of uncertainty. If we're at 99.99, I think a lot of people should be going back to work. And so I wonder if the problem isn't, yes, we've got CERB to support you, but that's a personal call. I don't feel safe. Oh, thank God I've got CERB. Don't know if it's withdrawing the CERB or maybe changing our messaging in the next uh, few weeks about, you know, it is safe to get back in the water. It is safe to come out of your home. Take reasonable precautions and you should be fine. It's an interesting position you make because uh, I'm not convinced that governments of any stripe, whether it's here in Ontario with the Conservatives or whether it's in Ottawa with the Liberals or whatever, I'm not sure they're all that interested in ending the opportunity to have daily press conferences and and stand in front of the people day after day and give money and look like they are campaigning. I'm not sure they want to send that message too quickly to say everything is fine, go back in the water. 
And yet we need to send that message to try to get as close as we can to what normal was in, in February and March. Uh, Scott, I've had some conversations with politicians who shall go unnamed who said, uh, well, Marvin, you know, uh, there is no going back. There, there, we're going to some new normal. And I said, gosh, you know, if I organize the Burlington Rib Fest or the, the Sound of Music Festival, if I'm a Hamilton Tiger Cat fan, my idea is I want to go back to the stadium. No, I don't want to wear a mask, and I want to eat some popcorn and drink some beer and enjoy a game just as we did before. How do we get as close to that as possible, and when can we expect that? And, and honestly, assuming we do a good job in managing the disease and not laying it back into the country, we're on that road that within, I think, a couple of months we could get there. So for, for the government... We've done such a good job of getting people to do the right thing, but at some point the right thing changes, and it is about getting out of the home and getting back into your behavior. Don't know when that is, not saying it's right today, but I think within the next six weeks that messaging has to change. Historically, does the economy and people's desire to purchase stuff and consume, does that historically overcome the fears? Well, to some, to some extent, that's true. You know, when you tell a group of people what they can't do, they listen for a while, but sooner or later, they've just got to break out and do something because that's, that's what human nature is all about. Uh, we certainly saw in March and April when retail stores were declared, some retail stores were declared non-essential, that people turned to online shopping. Online shopping in Canada, March and April, doubled in terms of a percentage of the total. It went from almost 6% to nearly 11%. Now, we've got some data about May and June, and it started to come back a little bit as retail stores opened. And that, so, therefore, I think, yes, some people will continue to buy online. But people's inclination is, I want something, I'm going to the store, I'm going to pick it up. Then the more you make that possible, the more they will bounce back. It will take some months to get back to some equilibrium. But we are well on our way to a recovery. You're going to start to hear data about uh, inflation and GDP growth. Even though we were in a recession in the first two quarters, this is the third quarter, and we're coming out of a recession very quickly. And to your point about, you know, government messaging, because, I, you know, people are going to restaurants now, or they're going out, and they're building up some confidence. You go out, you have a night out, or you go shopping, and you don't get sick, and you go, oh, okay, uh, you know what, I'm, okay, and then... You tune into the press conferences and they tell you, ah, don't get cocky. Don't be comfortable. It's, it's still very, very, very dangerous. Don't do, and you know, those are mixed messages. Your, your natural inclination is to feel better about yourself and about the situation to get back to normal. And you keep getting told don't. And, and I don't know how you, you know, for the economy, for stores, for businesses, I don't know, unless you, as you say, unless you have politicians and other experts start telling you, you know, it's okay as long as you're pretty careful I don't know how you get past that. Yeah. One other quick example, though, is is our friends in the United States. You know, we share so much in our culture. News travels back and forth across the border. Regis Philbin is not a Canadian celebrity, but his death still touches a lot of Canadians. And when, when we watch the United States, certainly the COVID situation is quite different south of the border. I would not, I would not under any stretch of the imagination say that it is under control in California or Florida or Texas and Arizona. They are in a whole different place than we are, and therefore, yes, we still have to be vigilant. But vigilant doesn't mean to be afraid. And, and Scott, just one other quick example. During the Second World War, can you imagine living in Britain from 1939 to 1945? On any given day, planes could fly overhead, bombs mm -hmm. could be dropped. 
and yet you had to find a way to live your life. You listened to the government, you listened to when there were signals, went to the bomb shelter when it was appropriate, but you also had to get married and have children and change the diapers and do those things and find a way to keep moving forward. And I, I think we need a little of that same kind of courage, uh, you know, uh, stay calm and carry on as we start to come out of this. And I realize the American data helps to thwart some of that. If only America could get under control, too, it would be a much easier sell here in Canada. Bombs are easier to see falling, though, than COVID virus germs flying around. I don't know if that made a difference or not. I'm not that it made that situation much more pleasant for them, but it's, uh, you know, it's tough. It is really tough. And, and I'm, I'm, you know, when we start to see the economy, we're just hoping and praying that, again, we don't have to do another $300 billion, even if we can not sure anybody's excited about that possibility of another $300 billion in deficit. Yeah, absolutely. Another, here's another quick example. Of course, all, the government's already thinking about the budget for the next fiscal year, which is 2021-2022. If Mr. Morneau, assuming he remains as finance minister, takes a $340, budget, $340 billion budget deficit and next year brings it down to 30, I think he's done something heroic. And yet I know there will always be people who are upset even at that amount of a deficit. It, it, you can't withdraw all the supports at the same time, you need to wean people off. And just like switching the baby from breast milk to other kinds of food, you do it slowly and steadily and you can get there. Don't do it in all one fell swoop. You know, that'll be a campaign announcement that we have set a record for the greatest deficit reduction from 340 to 30 billion. We shaved 310 billion out of the cost. I mean, the, the circumstances that, you know, contribute to that. But nonetheless, that'll be on their campaign material. I guarantee it. Uh, Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business. Really appreciate the time as always. Thanks for doing this. Glad to be with you, Scott. Uh, yeah, that, that will definitely be a campaign ad. No government in the history of the country has ever shaved $310 billion in order to try and get back to a balanced budget. Uh, yeah, I mean, slightly different times from any other time in our history, but you know, okay. All right. I mean, m make it an ad which they will. Let's take a break for the news. Back with the final segment, the home stretch. John Wertheim from Sports Illustrated talking about what is going on in baseball. It is a little bonkers right now. We'll pick all that up after the news. Stay with you us. think the, the cheese slipped off the cracker with these people? The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to three on 900 CHML.